our things on sin. And if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at that beginning at verse 10. <clears throat> talking about um, what really defiles a person. What really defiles a person today. And, you know, um, people today, if you notice, and I think it's always been true, but especially here recently I've noticed that people are obsessed with protecting their reputations. Their, their, their outward reputation. Uh, and, and you see this a lot in, in, in the public square with um, people who are in, in politics. You see it in Hollywood. Um, people really trying to uh, disguise whatever it is to, to put up the, the, this front so nobody will see what's really behind um, their, their outward veneer in their heart. Um, you know, I, I've seen so many um, public figures talk about their reputations hiding, hiding things, trying to hide things, and yet more and more of these things are, are coming to light. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to get political here when I say this, but there, there's been a culture war going on where, you know, we, we have the, these elitists who are trying to tell people, you know, um, that, that, that they view as beneath them to uh, do certain things, to live certain ways, to, you know, be, be environmentally conscious or be socially conscious, conscious and, and all this other ki kind of stuff. And, and, and those things are fine, you know, to a certain degree, but, but, but it's all become one-sided. And, and uh, you know, the, these politicians and, and elitists are preaching louder and, and a lot of times, you know, the, the way I look at it, the, the ones who in, in, in our society pre, uh, preach the loudest often have the most to hide. And, and, and these activists um, who have really, truly broken lives are, are trying to, um, you know, push their own sense of values and their, their own um, uh, morality on, on, on our country. And, uh, you know, you know, how I want to say this, when the church tries to put forth its morality, they say you can't legislate morality, but they're wanting to legislate their own kind of secular values. I call it secular fundamentalism. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's the reverse of what was happening in the, early 19th, in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And, um, you know, but, but people are, are so, um, today, are, are so wanting to hide you know, their, their public image when, when their private lives we know are, are completely broken and when they get exposed they, they, they break down. And I would say that's even true among uh, church going people it, you know, the, the, these pastors who fall I mean, uh, and that's been happening over the years. Uh, we, we, we've seen pastors who, who have built up these, these uh, great uh, churches and, and um, religious empire, so to speak, and uh, they're, they're bringing in all kinds of money, and, and somehow or another that, that power and wealth corrupt them, and it's not long before we find out that they're having affairs and, and other things like that. It's, it, it's terrible, and, and, and in, some, in, in some instances, it, it's hypocritical. But one thing I will say about this, this current generation, um, uh, we call them millennials, uh, and, and, and now we even, even younger, the 20-year-olds that are coming up, we call them Gen Z. Um, I don't like labels, but for, for, for a general idea, it, it, it does pretty good. You know, people in their 40s and 30s 
are our millennials, people who are in their late teens, early 20s, they call them Gen Z. Um, but, but those millennials, uh, they seem to be really wanting authenticity. And, 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 and for a lot of them, authenticity is, is truth. You know, they're, they're beginning to see through some of these outward forms of, of uh, what they call vir virtue signaling. And, and, and are beginning to, to uh, they, they want to put forth something that's true, something that's honest. And to me, that, that's encouraging. But what Christ exposes here in His Word, He exposes the hypocrisy of these outward forms of righteousness that were happening in His time and reminding people that sin is really a heart matter and that there is an inner transformation that is needed. Uh, 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 that inner life that needs to be transformed that matches with its outer life but, but, in, but, in, but most importantly it is, is, is conformed to God's will and to the Son Jesus Christ. So I want to read this to you here. Beginning at verse 10, it says this, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still with that understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask God that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. What Jesus is saying here, and, and this is what the Pharisees were, were teaching, and Jesus is confronting this, it is not ritual impurity that defiles a person. It is not ritual impurity that defiles a person. What Jesus is referring to here goes back to the Old Testament law, where there were all sorts of, um, not only the Ten Commandments, um, which, which was the source of all the laws, that, and, and, and all the case laws come from that. There, there were certain case laws that had dietary restrictions. There were certain ritual laws or ceremonial laws or sacrificial laws, we might call them, um, that, that were also mentioned um, to show that you could not approach God in, in, in any sort of um, flippant way. Um, you, ha you had to go through the, the, these rituals of cleansing and atonement in order to, to meet with the holy God. And so one of the things they were supposed to, to not do, um, which would richly defile them, would be to touch a dead person or a dead animal. 
That's, that, that was part of God's law, part of God's inspired word. The Jews were not supposed to do that. And I think it has to do with the idea that death is not in God's plan, that He is the author of life, and, and, and death is anti-life. And if you touch something that was dead, then, then you were considered unclean until you ritually clean, cleansed yourself and then um, made things right with, you know, um, as far as the priests go. So, so, so he, he, even an animal that was killed and prepared for them to eat, what they were supposed to do was ritually wash their hands before, before they, they consumed it. So that, that, that consumption would be considered clean as it went into their mouth. Now this isn't about what we know today about hygiene. That's not what this is about. Um, and it might be to a certain degree, but it had to do with following the ritual laws that were laid out for Israel. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to keep yourself pure, you washed your hands before you partook of that dead animal that, that, that you cooked. And so um, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus and his followers of not following the ritual of washing their hands before they ate. And Jesus saying, you know what? He uses it as, as a teachable moment. He says, you know what? That, that's not what defiles a person. What I touch and, and what I take into my mouth and, and, and consume, that does not defile me. Now you're thinking, now why would, if, that, if that doesn't defile, defile you, then why did God spend so much time talking about those kinds of ritualistic laws throughout the Old Testament, especially in, in uh, Leviticus and, and uh, Deuteronomy? You know, well, why did He spend so much time on that? Well, I look at it this way. You know, I was an educator for about seven years in the public school system. And one of the things I learned at teacher college is that, you know, we, we, had, a cla we had classes on educational psychology and how uh, students learn. Young children learn in concrete ways. They, they, they learn by, by touch, by, by sight, by sense, sometimes by taste. You know, kids like to stick things in their mouth. <laughs> But they learn in concrete ways. They, 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 they learn what round is by, by touching a round ball. They know what a square is by, by uh, uh, picking up blocks and stacking them. Or you, you've, you've seen those um, uh, toys where they have the different shapes and the kids have to learn what shape fits into those different things. They learn in concrete ways. They, they learn by being told. They, they learn by, by seeing. Um, when they get older, they, they begin to do more abstract kind of things, and, uh, and, and that, that's a sign of their growth and maturity. They, 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 they begin thinking things. They begin problem solving and those kinds of things. But when they're young, they have to learn in concrete ways. I think that's what the law is all about. God was teaching the people that He is holy. They can't approach Him in the ways that the pagans approach their gods. He wanted His people to be different. And he taught them through the law, this is what you do, this is what I want you to do to learn, that you have to approach me in worship with clean hands, and it also says a pure heart. You can't approach God in any way that you want to. There has to be some sort of cleansing. There has to be some sort of atonement. You cannot approach someone who is uh, the source of life when, when you yourself have in your hearts rejected Him long ago, 
You have to come to me with the idea of humility, with the idea that, yes, I need to be forgiven to approach God's presence because He is absolute goodness. And I have to, um, you know, I can't come to Him without blood. I can't come to Him without cleansing. And so in concrete ways, that's what God was teaching. And now that Jesus is coming along, he, he, he's, he's giving them uh, the more abstract ways of understanding what God wants from them. He wants a pure heart. <laughs> he, he, he wants a heart that, that's pure because that's really the source of sin. It's out of the heart that comes all of this wickedness. It's not about what you take and eat and chew and swallow. He says, the, that, that thing is quickly expelled from the body. It goes into your stomach and out the other end, not to be gross, but we all know that. Uh, this is how you know, children know that too. <laughs> um, you know, he says, it's, it's not that food itself that, that defiles you. And, that, and that's wrong-headed thinking on the Pharisees' part. That, that they were looking at the outward parts of the law and, and, and was driving those kinds of things home. And when, and when they, they saw people not doing that, uh, they were questioned in their commitment to, to serving God. They, they questioned that their, their commitment to keeping uh, the, the, their hearts pure before God uh, by, by judging by, by these outward practices. The source of sin is not without, it's within. Now, we talked last week about the difference between temptation and sin. Temptation comes from the devil. That happens with outside of us. But when we, but when we receive it and, and um, accept it, what, what, what the devil is, is, is trying to get us to do, and, and we go out and do it, then it becomes sin. But, but temptation in of itself is not, it's not the corruption. The corruption is within us. Temptation can, can pull us away or it could, could not, depending on how, how we handle it. But, but it. but the sin, the source of sin is in our own hearts. That, that's where the defilement is. It, it, it's within us. Rituals can, can only um, cover us for a while. And uh, every sacrifice, although um, God counted those sacrifices as, as atonement, I would say that they weren't really atonement. That they were placeholders for something better that was going to come into the future. And that is Jesus' Christ's own sacrifice once for all, for all sin, for all mankind. But the problem is, is that the Pharisees wanted to maintain this outward veneer and enforce it on the people, but they themselves did not want to keep these laws. And, and, and that's the problem with this outward form of righteousness. The, 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 these religious um, outward ritual things that, that, that they were doing. You see, the, the, the outward rituals can cover up a whole lot of sin. It was like, uh, I, you, know, I, you remember Duck Dynasty and, 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 and their, their father. I think one time he was telling his uh, grandsons to be careful of a girl who wears too much makeup because he said makeup can cover up a whole lot of sin. 
And I think in a sense that he's right. And don't, don't, don't worry, I'm not against makeup. I don't think he was either. Um, and, I, and I'll just say this in a nice way. Some of you need makeup. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, th- this outward um, presentation of oneself that, I, that I'm, a, I'm a righteous person, and yet inside I, I'm, I'm living the way I want to at any time, you know, however I want to live. And, and you know, n- nothing um, in the church can, is touching my heart. And I think it's sad that, that we're, a lot of people are living with, with, with that righteous veneer over their faces, the way they present themselves to people when, when, when their lives are really broken and terrible on the inside. And, 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 and people who, who have claimed to be Christians, who have been going to church for many, many, many years, they, they, they have that, that outward veneer of righteousness, and yet it, it never gets into their heart. We've accepted ritual over substance. We've accepted self-righteousness over God's righteousness. And what needs to be happening is our heart needs to be emptied out of all this defilement and corruption so that our inner life matches our outward life and then we don't have to worry about that that outward veneer trying to protect ourselves. Our, our inner private life needs to match our public life if we're going to call ourselves Christians. It really does. And, 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 and you know, like I said, a lot of that, that veneer of righteousness, of, of going to church, of, of seeing people in, in my church, and, you know, seeing people in my community. You know, politicians, um, when, when we vote for them, uh, they, they always come out and claim some sort of religion. You know, they'll claim uh, Baptist, or they'll, they'll claim uh, United Church of Christ, or they'll claim Catholicism, or they'll claim Presbyterianism. And, you know, I, I have to wonder, I said, that does, does uh, claiming that give you just social clout, you know, in, in your politics, or are you really and sincerely a Christian believer Whose, whose inward, inward life matches up with your rhetoric. And, and I think that, that, that goes down to, to the smallest person who, who attends a church, who likes going to church because they like to be seen, they like to see other people, they, they like to hear God's Word preached, but they don't let it transform their lives where the real problem lies. Jesus said it's the heart of a person that is impure. And we've, we've shared that, that uh, impurity since Adam and Eve um, sinned in the garden. That they were innocent until they fell to the temptation and sinned, and then that sin corrupted them from within. And that, that, that's why God cast them out of the garden, so they would not have access to the tree of life anymore. Because, because they would have kept on going and going and going in their sin. Now that sin happened, sin, sin, sin fundamentally corrupted them. And we know that because of how sin spread through the whole human race. We've talked about this. Even into the days of Noah, when God brought the flood, 
he said that, that the thoughts of, of the, inclina the inclination of their, of their thoughts was only evil all the time. And so the, the flood, he sends the flood to wipe out. There, the violence had filled the earth. People were killing each other indiscriminately. If he hadn't done that, all would have been lost. And thank God that um, he promised, you know, the, the symbol of, of, of the rainbow as a promise that he would not flood the earth in that way again. But it was a, a sign of God's justice, which is still true today, that our sins need atonement from, from a, for us, need, need a blood atonement for us, in, in order for us to approach God and be in relationship with Him again. We, we need that atoning power of God, and, and, and we need that, that transformation. But it's out of the heart that sin comes. The source of sin is, is within, it's not without. Temptations, as I said, are without, but the source of sin is within. And we need a transformation of our heart, a fundamental transformation. Jesus says here that out of the heart comes all of these things. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. All of those, those things that, that the Bible calls sin come out of the heart. It's not what goes in that defiles me. It's not, it's not this, this outwardness. But, but it comes from out, from within. And so what we need in order to be right with God and in, or, in, in order to make things right with Him is to have a fundamental transformation of our life within, a purification of our heart within. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, He talked about the law. But He also internalized it. He said things like this. Chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Anger is something that comes from within. Murder is the sinful action. But anger is something that comes, comes from within, from, from within myself. People might not see my anger through, through, through the veneer of righteousness that I put up. And I may never commit the act of murdering someone. But if I harbor anger in my heart, Jesus says, that, that's the source that needs to be changed. That needs to be emptied out. He says this in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The act is cheating on your spouse. But it begins with lust in the heart. And I'll even go as far as to say this. If you read the Ten Commandments, the last one says, do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not cover your neighbor's possessions. Do not cover your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> he says, do not covet your neighbor's servants. That desire for other people's things that don't belong to you is a source of sin. So, so even, even in the law, which we tend to think of as outward um, sins, Covetousness is something that was in the heart. 
So it's in there from the very beginning. And Jesus isn't really saying anything new here. He's saying it in a new context. And he's giving the proper interpretation of the law, which the Pharisees had neglected because they had the, the veneer of being um, a righteous person. But within their hearts, they, they, they were as corrupt as anyone else. They were corrupt leaders. They were corrupt officials. They imposed God's law on other people, but did not live up to it, of it, live up to it in themselves. Out of the heart comes all sorts of wickedness. We must have a transformation of our heart. And so what we needed was something more than just the forgiveness of sins. But we needed something that was going to transform us from within. And that is the power of what Christ did on the cross. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they, they do. But His sacrifice purified them from their sins, but God's grace touched their hearts from within. Some people will stop at the forgiveness of sins and forget that one of the reasons that Jesus died and left this world was so that He could send the gift of His Holy Spirit, God's presence, into our hearts so that we can be transformed from within so that God can begin that process of, of, of removing that defilement from within. And only the power of God can do that. There are so many people that, that I see um, that, that have lives of alcohol abuse and drug abuse and have been in prison and, and they do come out reformed and, and, and uh, they, they've gotten rid of the former things that, that they have done and, and, and are involved in programs that, that help them overcome these things. And all those things are, are well and fine, but, but you, know, you can't fundamentally make yourself right with a holy God until you allow Him to transform your heart and life. And you can never really be free of those, those, those sins until you accept Christ as your Savior. And even then, even then, God wants to do a process within your heart. You and I ha have a will within um, that, that's been twisted by, by this corruption that still, um, even though we're believers in Jesus Christ and everybody wants to go to heaven, but until that, that inner self has been untwisted by God, we don't have a promise of heaven. I can tell you that right now. Until we allow that... that um, heart within us to be twisted, untwisted from its twistedness so that, so that our, our will aligns with God and, and, and His um, holiness and His character and His righteousness shine, shine out. We don't have a, a promise of heaven. All we'll keep doing is getting into a, sin, a, a pattern of sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting until eventually we don't want to repent anymore. And, and, and we go back to living the old way that we did. But until we truly allow Christ to transform our hearts, we can never be free of that, of that sinfulness that's out there, that, that, that's, that, that, that comes from within. We'll never be free from it. You say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? What you need to do is, is trust that God wants to transform your life 
and then be honest about what your sin is in your life with God. You don't necessarily have to tell me, although, although uh, the, the Apostle James says it's good for brothers and sisters to confess their sins to one another. I wouldn't do it to just, with just, just anybody, but somebody you trust. But we can confess our sins to God. We need to be honest with God. Because it doesn't matter. You, you can't hide from God. You can't put up a veneer of righteousness before Him. He knows what's in your heart. Jesus knew what was in their hearts here. He knows what's in our hearts now. But if we're honest with Him, and, and, and we look within, and we say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need, I, I need to be cleansed. I want to be with you. And I want to be free from my sin and guilt. Father, not only forgive me, of my outward sins, but transforming within. John Wesley believed there was always a two-part two process in salvation. Two main parts, anyway. First was to confess your sins to God and believe on Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's, all, that, that's what we call justification by faith. That's the first step of salvation. Forgiveness of sins... And, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, is that there comes a time in my life when I realize that my will still bumps up against what God wants, and, and, and my inward life is not matching up with my outward life and what I profess, and I need God's Holy Spirit to take over my life, and, and, and I fully surrender Him. The first step makes Christ our Savior. The second step makes Christ our Lord. And once we reach that second step where we make Christ Lord of our lives, the real process of transformation begins. And it is a process. I would say it's a lifelong process. And what the Spirit does is He empties our hearts of, of all those things that, that defile us and He replaces it with the love of God in our hearts. So that we can love God so much so that we don't want to sin anymore. And so that we love our neighbors so much that we, won't, that we don't want to sin against them anymore. We call that sanctification. <laughs> Big fancy words, justification and sanctification. But until we get rid of that, trans, that, that, that twistedness, that corruption of our hearts... We'll never be free from, from, from those outward things that come up, those outward sins that come out of the heart. And we'll always be trying to put up a front. And I can tell you that from what I've seen, it can be very, very tiresome and wearisome to keep up a front before people. To hide what, what, what's within. But I'm here to tell you today that, that for the one who counts the most, you can't hide from him. <laughs> You might be able to fool other people, but you can't hide from Him. My challenge to you this morning, that if you claim Christ today and you are a believer, if you love Jesus and, and, and say you love Jesus, then you need to examine your heart and say, Lord, is there anything within me that is still corrupted and, and still going against your will and way? Reveal it to me, Lord. The psalmist said, Search my heart, Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, Lord. And then ask Him to cleanse me 
and remove that source of sin within. Sin comes out of the heart. Lord, I want a transformation of my heart. Let's stand. Let's pray.